Hello and a very warm welcome to the ANA Take with me, Alex. And me, Adam. This podcast will bring understanding to what is going on in the world and bring to the table some hot topics for debate, all while trying to have some fun along the way. And just before we start, we are all abiding by social distancing. So let's get to it. So Alex and I, we've been friends since college, since all of them incredibly hard days sat trying to learn A-level maths. Yes, we have indeed. And through that, we are now in fields of marketing and journalism. And we thought with some boards and we try and do something a bit more practical during this lockdown situation. Yes, and that really is the exact reason behind this podcast. Hopefully we're coming to you every week throughout at least the rest of the lockdown and hopefully even beyond that too. That's right. And today's show theme is all around the subject of education and how schools are coping and going to cope going forwards. We're even going to be speaking with a teacher from a Yorkshire school in just a moment. But before we get on to that, we really do need to cover off a couple of hot topics um, that have come to the light in this new situation in lockdown. So first on the agenda, I think we can't ignore, which is Dominic Cummings. It is suddenly taken the yes. media by a complete spotlight and I think it probably caused some controversy even in his own party. Adam, what do you think about this situation so far? Yes, now obviously I mean we should say that we are, that we are doing this podcast, recording this on a, on a Sunday afternoon. Now by the time you listen to this, by the time we release it, by the time perhaps even that we've finished, <laughs> a lot of things could have changed and a lot of things could have, could have moved on. I mean we're learning things virtually by the minute. That is right. Um, so our opinions and what and what we say are based on what we think right now. And that will probably change in even <laughs> just an hour's time. I agree. I fully agree with that. And I think with Dominic Cummings, it's putting people's opinion in a very difficult position because there is a, a, there's three sides to every story, as one of my uh, friends once said to me, that actually there is, you know, Dominic Cummings' side, there is the media side and all of this, and then there's the truth. I think Dominic Cummings has actually been put in a very difficult position because if he has uh, made that 260-mile journey that's been reported to Durham um, to p- put his child in a better position for childcare and out of maybe some danger, I-, I think you know if you ask any parent, they would always say that they're going to put their child first. However, you know, following this social distancing and what he and the government have advised, I'm not sure it maybe puts that in the in the best light possible. Um, Adam, do you, do you think it was an extreme circumstance to life and it was an appropriate decision to take? Um, oh, I, definitely, I definitely don't think that he's in the right. Um, however, with what I know right now, and I, again, that, that is changing all the time, what we're finding out, I, I personally don't think he's exactly in the wrong. Um, but I find it, I, I do find it difficult to have to try and listen to his advice with him being the sort of the first aid towards the government in all this. I find it difficult to be able to listen to him and trust what he says if, for whatever reason, he's failed to follow it himself. And I think he has got a legitimate reason, or at least I think he thinks he's got a very legitimate reason. But the thing that concerns me most is that now we're seeing um, newspapers and journalists coming together, which I think is a really good thing to see, that sort of reporting, people coming together to report on a story. However, their story is completely different to the government who are saying, no, that's, that's not, that should not show anyone's paper talk. And I'd like to think that both of these establishments, both of these people would be telling the truth 
However, one of them, at least one of them, must be lying. And that doesn't sit with me at all very well. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. But I think also when you look at from personally, I've not been able to see my girlfriend properly for, you know, months. And the government is saying that that was a reasonable and an acceptable trip to be made. Yet they go on before all of this about saying you must stay at home for two weeks and isolate completely, even if you have symptoms. So I think it's just going to cause even more upset and in, in issues within the wider public because what do you trust? Because the government are saying one thing, his own advisors are doing another thing. In Scotland, uh, somebody who did something very similar was, was, was fired for this. Yeah. Uh, should that be the case? Should he be fired or should he make a resignation? Yeah, I mean, that is all entirely up for debate. I think um, from what we from what we know is is true. Um, he he left him and his family, him and his wife and his uh, and his young child left the house in London to go to Durham. Um, whilst at least one of them was was symptomatic. I can understand their their reasoning for thinking that was the right thing to do. However, it, that is not the right thing to do, regardless of the situation. They, someone who is symptomatic or has a confirmed case should not be leaving that house. And people came out yesterday, well, on, on Saturday in our case, for the, from the government and were saying um, in the press conferences and the, any of the medical advisors were saying, oh, it's all right. He was, he was choosing his place to lock down. That, that's something that, we, that, we, that we've not heard before. I don't really know where that's come from because... Yes, they might have all got in the car, travel somewhere and not come across anybody else. But there's always a risk that, you, that the car might break down and somebody has to come out and help them. They might have to stop at a service station. They had a four-year-old child. I can't see them doing 260 miles without having to stop. So all these people that they meet on route, is, that is the reason why he shouldn't have gone. And if he got to a position where in two weeks' time, both of them, uh, God forbid, had to be admitted to hospital or something, they both ended up getting it, both parents and the child, the four-year-old child was left you know, unable to look after. At that point, someone I think should be allowed to come to that house and uh, and sort of you know, a family member and and move that child in in with them for a bit. But I think he jumped the gun in in moving while any one of them was symptomatic in moving two hundred sixty miles away. That 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 wasn't the right thing to do. He shouldn't he shouldn't have left the house. I, I agree with that. But I think actually, when you look at this, and I've spoken to some friends on this, but. What the, I think people will see a mutual annoyance at is that the media is the incomplete spotlight is on Dominic Cummings. And I yeah. don't believe that this one incident is the primary talking point that we should all be having, you know, uh, on, on PM questions and on the press releases. It is constant about Dominic Cummings. You turn on BBC yeah. News, any news channel, the first story is completely always about Dominic Cummings. We're no longer yeah. answering questions about infection rates, what are protocols being put in place. The reporters aren't asking pertinent questions about has final uh, alterations been made on Boris's plan to release it from lockdown. We're all just deciding to have a, a decision about whether or not Dominic Cummings was in the right or in the wrong. And this yeah. one incident, I don't believe, is bigger than the global pandemic that we really should be focusing on. And... I think that's probably why we used to think, right, he's done what he's done. It's up for the jury to decide on whether or not it was in complete right or wrong. But there are bigger and more pressing things that we should all be considering. Yeah, I, t I completely agree with that. And I mean, I, I, think, I think we could talk about this subject rightly or wrongly for a, for a long time. I think we'll probably, 
leave it there. We did say we're going to have some fun on the way. There is there is some positive stories to come out of of what's going on at the minute. I think me and Alex, I think we've both got one sort of story each that we thought this is this is really worth sharing. A little bit of positive Indeed. news. I'll go first, and that's that. Uh, and this news comes from Iran, uh, around the country. What a lovely place. Well, it's it, it, the thing is, it they 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 have perhaps suffered more than most in this. They're one of the most the world's most affected countries by coronavirus, and um, they've had a hundred and 33,000 infected cases, over 7,000 deaths. But uh, a 107-year-old Iranian woman has now recovered from coronavirus, according to um, the FARS news, news agency uh, in Iran. Wow. She was released from hospital after spending some time in isolation and said, said that she defeated the virus with the help of doctors and nurses at the hospital. So that's good news. A 107-year-old I mean, all I can say, if I get to 107, regardless of suffering from COVID-19, I'm, I'm doing well. She should be getting there. <laughs> exactly. Because yes. getting to 107 in Iran, imagine the warm climate, yes. alone coronavirus. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. I, I think she's done bloody well. Yeah, I agree with that. I hope she becomes Prefer. a national treasure like our Tom Moore, because yes. um, she should be like the fighting force for, for Iranian people. Yeah. Fantastic news. And yes, the one from me, which is um, something we cannot miss, is that New Zealand has reported no new cases um, for the last 24 hours. They've actually only been, they're actually only now 27 active cases left in New Zealand, um, with one more patient recovering, bringing the country's total to 1,154, with only 21 deaths. So again, some fantastic and positive news from the South uh, areas of New Zealand and also I think you can't deny that the Prime Minister over there has done a fantastic job in locking this down and something that she alone should be proud of and the New Zealand have been you know incredibly resilient on this as well. Yeah I mean we we um perhaps perhaps the media in in this country is something that, that we mentioned before again it's something that we could talk for a long time about perhaps um that don't focus on these positive stories but I've I've had a little bit of a, of a troll through the NHS website this morning to try and find some not necessarily some some good news but some positive news that we can try and reflect on a on a better light with and I, I came across these couple of stats I mean obviously every death is is not one that you want to say has happened it's not one that you want to report on um uh, over half of all deaths with a positive test in this country come with people aged 80 and over which again it's 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 that dreadful dreadful news of course it is loads of families being affected but perhaps slightly more positively, again, it, of course, it's a death. It isn't good news, but positively, 60, and that's not 16%, that's 16 people aged zero, uh, age 0 to 19 have died from COVID-19. Just 16 people. And they age 20 to 39 is 182. So out of thousands and thousands of people that have died, less than 200 are aged less than 40, which yeah. is not something that gets reported on. And if it did, it might make people not be so scared, which I think is quite an important part. Well, I, I fully agree with that. I think we should be finding the likes of the 107-year-olds like in Iran that we should be reporting on and have like a wall of fame because they are doing something fantastic. And I'm guaranteeing that the people in the United Kingdom like that person that have, you know, been fantastic and pulled through all of this. So definitely agree with you. And let's, let's find the positives and try and, you know, report on that a little bit more. Exactly. I like it's guest time. It is guest time. So it gives me great pleasure to welcome our Yorkshire teacher, Martin, who is actually a dear friend of mine. And we roped into this um, podcast to give him to give us a little bit of in, insight on the education system, how it's dealing with lockdown and 
what's going to happen post lockdown because there's some, been some massive, massive changes. Um, so, Martin, welcome. Hello. It's nice to speak to you. And let's get straight to it and we'll kick off. And I think one thing that's possibly caused a little bit of controversy is that a lot of people have said that schools have actually been closed during lockdown. What do you make of that? Do you, do you agree with that comment or? Well, first and foremost, that's completely not true. Um, schools have not been closed. They've always been open for children of key workers. Um, I know in my school, um, we've, we've had a constant flow of students. There hasn't been one day where we haven't had a student in. Um, but also as well, we've got to remember about the, the thousands of other students in each school that are actually working from home, just like we all are. We're working from home. So they, and I don't think the media has necessarily portrayed that in, in the correct light. Um, students are still doing just as many hours at, at home as they would be in school. So to say that teachers aren't necessarily teaching, to say that students aren't necessarily learning, that's completely not true. Wow. Have you still been going in, Martin, or have you been doing everything that you've been doing from home, or has it been a mix of the two? Um, it has been a mixture of the two. I mean, the vast majority of the things that I've been doing have been from home, um, following the government guidance, working from home wherever possible. Um, I've been into school twice. Um, once was a voluntary during the Easter, the Easter holidays, um, and once was to look after the, the students of key workers, and we're all on a, on a rotor for that. So, like I said, the, mass, the vast majority has been working from home. That's interesting. And I think, you know, I've actually been working from home since lockdown happened. And I'm fortunate my industry is, is very well set up for that. Do you think that people are, are struggling or finding it more difficult, maybe learning from home and having the motivation as a student, you know, the people that you teach um, than perhaps being in a classroom? I know that in the work environment, um, I, I can say personally, we've, we've carried on really, really well and there's not been a massive difference but do you think it's harder for younger people to be motivated and keep going yeah definitely I think naturally school is very rigid it's very much a routine you have a timetable as students and as staff and we stick to it um I think this is something that in the future we could potentially look to to change and I'm sure this is something we're going to talk about later about how the the education sector is potentially a little bit outdated but for for a lot of people that's what they're used to and a lot of students and a lot of stuff that's what they're used to um especially students with educational needs a routine is the things that they they focus on they they can take hold of it's what they own um so for those students this this pandemic has caused massive issues um and it's something that as a family they they will find it really really difficult I think it's really clear to see sort of how much, te- well, or how much share parents and students value school. Um, just, just the amount of work that we do as staff. Uh, I've seen so many things on on Facebook where it's thank you so much for how much you actually do. We didn't realise what what you do, um, and that takes, oh, that gives me great comfort. And actually, the job that we do, and I think. The teaching profession really does get the hard the hard end of it sometimes um but actually 
our job is valued by by parents and by students and that's something that i think has been a positive from this pandemic yeah i mean for a lot of the reasons that, that, that you've said there there'd be a lot of arguments for schools returning on june the 1st which mm. again at the time of recording this is something that's been debating a lot that is that is still the date that is being set for when schools return what's what's your opinion on that do you think they should do you think they shouldn't return on june the 1st mm. i mean first and foremost um I've actually I watched the Boris's um, announcement and I rewatched it. Um, and wasn't it clear enough? Obviously, was it, was it not clear? No, it wasn't. <laughs> no, it wasn't clear at all. Um, I mean, yes, there was there was date set and it was all conditional, and I fully understand why. Um, for for primary schools, they mentioned the date of the first of June, but me as a secondary school teacher, at no point was a date mentioned. So. For me, that is incredibly vague. Um, I mean, in terms of my school, we're actually planning to go back, or for some students, and those students in year 10 and year 12, on the 8th of June. Now, the, the exact wording from Boris and the Prime Minister was that he hoped that um, students in exam years, which is year 10 and year 12, would have some face-to-face contact. Now, I don't think, I think if you ask any secondary school teacher, I think they would say the 8th of June has come as a little bit of a shock. I mean, obviously, every school will be slightly different. However, I think to, to put a date on it is, is nigh on impossible. I mean, ultimately, it's a balancing act. Um, and most students, those that aren't in exam years, will not return and will not return before the summer holidays. Um, for me, I think the two sides of the coin are the amount of lessons that year 10 or year 6 year 10 and year 12 have have missed is huge and it will it will have some sort of an impact it's really difficult to say what that impact is but it will have an impact on their future studies i mean in terms of not going back i think this is where the government has let itself down a little bit i think there's there hasn't been much guidance whatsoever um in terms of how we go back, what we need to do, and how we go about doing that. Um, but ultimately, student safety is is the most important thing. Um, and I think, sorry. And you talk about student safety, but also what we need to consider is how safe do you feel teachers are going to be going back into this school environment? Because, you know, one of my um, family friends is, is a teacher, and she wanted to wear a, a face mask, and her head teacher said no. So actually, are teachers being considered in this or is it just student welfare? Because you teachers have to go back home and there's families that you could pass it on to if, if you came infected. I 100% agree. And, and ultimately, students should be at the heart of everything that we do in schools. That's why we go into the teaching profession. But as you'll know, um, SAGE released their, their um, guidance and their um, information to the government about what they think should happen and I'm going to just read you a little quote from their document uh, delaying the school reopening by two weeks so to the 15th of June approximately halves the risk to children and, de- and delaying reopen, uh, reopening until September is, is less risky still now to me I don't understand what the rush is um, personally I mean I will go back um, as you've already said in your statistics, that luckily I'm of the age where 
I'm at less risk. Mm -hmm. So I will do my job. And I, I think as, as we, we all pay um, huge debts to the NHS, they have, they put their lives at risk. Um, I will do my part and I will go back whenever I'm told to go back. Whether that turns out to be the right thing, who knows, but I will go back on, in my case, the 8th of June. All I can say was, before we get the next question is that I think we're going to need a lot of national holidays going forward. We're going to need a national teacher day off. We're going to need a national <laughs> health worker day off. We're going to need a COVID day off. I can tell you what, we're going to do four-day working weeks because there's going to be that many bank holidays. It's going to be fantastic. I can't wait for it. It's just as to say. And actually, just, just on that point, um, you may or may not be aware that during the last week was um, National Teachers Day. And for me... Was that reported anywhere on the news? No. Yeah. No. No way. No. And I think as a teaching profession, because we, like, like I've said before, are on the, quite often on the back foot with um, what people perceive the teaching profession to be, I, I think that would have been a really, really nice thing to do, whether it be the, the media outlets, whether um, it be social media, whether it, whoever. I think that would have been really, really nice to to emphasise a little bit more. But like I say, I didn't see it anywhere on on national TV. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think the preconception for a lot of people is that the schools are off, which you've said is quite quite rightly that's not, that's not the case. No. I mean, teaching is quite as quite as it could it can be quite as you know as a stressful profession. It can be an environment a challenging environment. Um, how much how much added stress has been put on you with whatever impetus is going to be put on you to keep children apart to keep people safe? Is that is that something that's going to be on teachers as individuals to do? Well, to be honest, the guidance doesn't really say an awful lot about this. Um, I think, in terms of safety, we'll be we'll have huge amounts of responsibility for this. I think the the impetus and the, the importance of school, I think, has shifted from education, which is ultimately what the students and what we're there for, to safety. Now. Obviously, even before all of this, we we want safety or the safety of our students and staff to be to be the most important thing. But I think, in terms of accountability, I think we'll be um, much more responsible for that. Um, I mean, for instance, one thing that I thought of is let's say a student in my school catches COVID. Um, am I then responsible for that? Is there any fallback on me? I don't know the answer to that. And I'd like to think the answer to that is no. Even if it's a legal no, what about a moral no? Is that something that, as a parent, the questions will be asked, well, how come, what, what um, sort of safety measures did you not put in place that allowed my, my child to catch it? Um, in terms of keeping students apart, I think it's pretty much impossible, to be honest. Um, I know you've, there's, been things in the media to do with Denmark and um, other countries going back. But I think, well, first of all, they had an awful lot more guidance from the, from their government. And I think it's, it's a very different sort of ethos to education, especially in the Scandinavian countries. Um, they, I think they put a lot more in, uh, importance on education and schooling i mean, I mean i'm definitely i'm definitely concerned about the going back because i, I saw on our, our news um, channel that 
it could potentially take 35 classrooms to hold an entire year group because you can only have five or six kids in each classroom. Now, I mean, you could feel really fortunate on the register and be with five people you like for the entire time or the kid can have like, somebody <laughs> they really don't like and <laughs> they're not going to enjoy. You don't have favourites. I don't know what you're talking about. No, but I mean, you know, <laughs> they're never going to enjoy that. Um, but I mean, just sort of as, as a final point, from you how how difficult do you think this is going to be on the exam years and, and the future exam years going forward because mm. i know that you know years 10 and 12 in particular um they're losing a lot of valuable time for, for mm. the teaching how do you think schools can work with exam boards and mm. almost ensure that if anything like this happens again in their exam time because we know it might happen in you know second peaks yeah. later on this year that you're prepared for this because if I'm in year 12 knowing I've got A-level, A-level exams next year, I'm going to be in a really scared position that I might yeah. not, not be, be set. No, I 100% agree. And I've always said since um, we found out schools were going to be closed that actually year 11 and year 13, they wouldn't be necessarily as affected as the current year 10 and year 12. Um, I mean, I did some, some quick maths. Um, and I worked out that year 10 have missed 43 lessons, and that's based on what my school currently does in terms of timetabling. And year 12 have missed 53 lessons, wow. or would miss 53 lessons, assuming they didn't go back. Um, in terms of what we can do in the future to hopefully um, minimise any effect of a second peak or if anything like this happens, I think this government, and um, since they came in in 2010, um, has very much taken away the coursework element of a lot of subjects. And I, I think an exam works an awful lot better for certain subjects than others. I mean, I'm a maths teacher and everything that we do now is 100% exam. So to me, I think some sort of coursework element would be beneficial. Um, because I mean, we've, we as teachers have been put in a, in a difficult position for the current year 11 and year 13. Uh, we've had to um, come up with what's called centre-assessed grades that will be submitted to an exam board. Um, personally, I think some students, especially the higher ability, will um, will be less happy than the lower ability students um, because ultimately we have to to take into account a lot of different things, including predicted grades, but all but um, mock exams, what we see in lessons to. To, to come up with those grades and that system's not perfect but no system is um, so I'd like to see some sort of shift back to um, a little bit less of an exam focus and actually more student-centered and actually what the student is capable of doing and their, their understanding of a subject rather than solely an exam outcome yeah well it's, it, is, it is a really interesting topic. We could talk about it for, for so much longer. I'm sure we'd love to, to, to speak to you again in a few weeks' time and yeah. see what change has been made and, and everything for that. So thank you very much. And I'm sure we can all say that we, that we respect what, what you're doing and everyone else in your profession. Thank and you it very should much. Be, I think it should be you know, regarded much higher than it is. Uh, stay with us, Martin. It's now time for Alex Choice. Yes, and thank you very much, Martin. I do just have to say that maybe if you are the uh, teacher's pet or teacher's favourite, you might be getting that little extra bonus <laughs> exam mark in this year's results, <laughs> given how much they've No idea what you're talking about. No, I'm sure they'd never confirm or deny, but you never know. 
But like Adam said, it is time for Alex's choice. And Martin, we would like you to stay with us on this one because this Look. time, given the uh, school theme, I've decided to not really talk about a news topic. I thought it'd be really, really nice to get a little bit of insight into our favourite or funniest school moment that we can remember. Um, Where it could be, I don't know, somebody fell over, somebody threw up on a teacher, (laughs) anything that has really, you know, stayed with you over the test of time. So, Adam, why don't you kick us off on this section? Well, I've got two, Alex, and one of, and that's because one of them involves you. Oh, well, no. I think I'll say that one to a second. <laughs> oh, um, no. The first one, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say names in case, in case people listen to this. I know, I know you took it all in, all in good spirit, and we all have a laugh about it when we, when we see the first thing this is about. And I hope it wasn't. I hope this doesn't end up being a you had to be there moment. <laughs> I can still laugh at this now. But we were in, I think, I, think it, I was in uh, year, year seven, <clears throat> and, and someone who was, uh, who was in my friendship group um, got his got his first sort of uh, girlfriend and it was and it was her it was her birthday uh, and so he he brought her bought her a present um he wrapped it up himself and you could and and that's just so that, that you could tell that he wrapped it up himself and, um, <laughs> and he passed it on to her and and as she opened it i don't know if the box of chocolates that was in the packaging was already opened or if it was just really bad wrapping when she threw open the wrapping paper Every single chocolate in that box went up in the air and landed on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and it's genuinely one of the, I can still laugh at that now. It's probably one of the funniest things I can ever remember happening to me at school. It's absolutely brilliant. I hope, um, they didn't, I hope they didn't pay too much money for the chocolates because that really is what I recall, it was, a, it, was a, it was a sort of small to medium box of quality street from what I can remember. So I, Fantastic I don't think brand. Alex. Good brand. I'm going to say I've got Alex. <laughs> <laughs> You'd exactly. Uh, the second one doesn't involve uh, you, Alex. This is I am when, dreading. Uh, I, I really am. Oh no, no, no! I wouldn't. This is uh, as before. We mentioned we um, uh, met in college, became friends, kind of through our struggles with A level maths. Um, and nothing to do with to... me, just to put it out there. <laughs> <laughs> and we would often sit outside the maths classroom um, when we didn't have a lesson and try our best to try and learn what we've just been talking about. We did. And our, yeah. and our teacher would, was quite uh, apt to using an app called Quizlet. Now, for those of you who don't know what it is, uh, Quizlet was like a little interactive app. I, don't know, I mean, I'm sure that you use it all the time, Martin, or, or use it for oh, certain yeah. lessons at least. Yeah. Um, and basically, you, a question goes up on a board, you all join in with your phones, you all answer along, and it's just basically a quiz series of the winner. Um, but what we would do, me and Alex, is being, being sat outside, was we would always join in with the code that was going on with a different class. Yeah. <laughs> Literally get all the answers Brilliant. wrong, put in funny names, and then the teacher would have no idea who it was because, <laughs> because you wouldn't know what was going on. So the best thing we just, you know, you know, just like make puns of her name and stuff like that, and and put that as our name, and she would have no idea. I, I, to this day, I still don't think she had any idea exactly what I was think going I, on. I actually do remember that because I think she once actually started shouting at her class because she thought somebody <laughs> was exactly yeah. not was not following the rules, and it was me and Adam sat outside. <laughs> oh, it was brilliant! Wow. And then, and then you wonder why we both got D's in our A levels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Never worry, kids. It's not always about the grades. <laughs> exactly. Have some fun along so, the way. Don't say that. Please don't say that. <laughs> Martin. So yes. there were two there were two cracking ones, and I think maybe we should do it at the end of this we maybe we should try and rate them out of funniest. Um Martin, what do you think is your best memory that you can think of? Well, put me on the spot a little bit here. Um I think probably one of my funniest ones. Um 
I was involved in quite a lot of music and performing arts and, and things like that at school. And we went on a, a music tour of Italy. Very and, civilized. Yes, very civilized. But I got on quite well with, with the teachers. Um, probably why I got into teaching. And we all walked along this, um, this street. The teachers were in front of me. And one of them turned around and had a conversation with me. Little did she know that she was sort of heading for a lamppost, shall we say. <laughs> and the conversation carried on. And I'm sort of, I can sort of see what's going to come here. But I'm thinking, I'm just going to let this go. And hopefully she'll, she'll avoid it. Yeah, no, that didn't happen. And so she's carry on walking. And right on the face, right in the middle of the forehead, she... Uh, connects with this lamppost Ooh. and we are pretty much on the floor laughing and wow. I don't know whether she she doesn't know whether to laugh or cry well, so that was that, probably one of my funniest that moments. would have been a great one if it was a teacher you didn't like <laughs> yeah true because you imagine yeah. that well, that's a cracking <laughs> yeah, even story more funny. wow and I guess I better give you mine so I had to think about these because I mean there's a few of them I probably couldn't say on this um <laughs> podcast because it's inappropriate so one of the things I, I i came out with was um we had a lot of supply teachers in our gcse business and we had this one chap i won't mention his name um but he he first came in and you know or some people do but he had an almighty sweat problem and he didn't wear particularly clothing that covered it up very well let's put it that way and on the first lesson, I remember he had sweat patches as big as his shirt. It was, it was, it was <laughs> awful. It really was. He wore a blue shirt. You couldn't miss it. But he, was, he seemed oblivious. And this was quite near Christmas time. So it was all supply teachers try and do, as we know. They get berated by the kids anyway. Um, but on Christmas jumper day, uh, he, he came in and followed the Christmas jumper tradition. So, we, <laughs> you know, everybody was like, oh, it's Christmas time. And then one of our more... Uh, what let's say um, individual students in our class decided that it'd be a, good well. idea to, be a good idea to pull a prank on him. <laughs> so we're sat in our business room, which was already quite a warm room anyway, but had air conditioning. And he had this cracking idea to whack the air conditioning up to about 35 <laughs> heat <laughs> on full blast. <laughs> So we were sat in this classroom already sweating before the teacher walks in. And for some unknown ability, he didn't notice. And for the hour's lesson, the poor man perspired more than a swimming pool. Literally, at one moment, I saw it drop on somebody's wall. His jumper was dripping. Let alone us. I was, I was about ready to pass out. It was that warm. Um, I don't think he ever Teacher's came back. To, I don't think he ever came back to our school. If I'm not honest, <laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah, don't do oh, that. Sure I'd want to. It was a it was a cracking moment, and I don't think I'll ever forget that of just seeing a poor man perspire uncontrollably, and we all knew what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. Anyway, what do we think? Funniest uh, moment in in that. Adam. I think that I, I mean, I think that that the, the, they're all really, really good stories. Yeah. And I wish I'd been there for, for both of yours. I reckon, that Alex, I think that that yours, Dory, just just gets it. Yeah, I think, you think? Really. Yeah, definitely. Oh, wonderful! Yeah. Well, thank you very much. 
And now I think it is time to wrap that up and we will now move on to the final five, which is also being led by me today as Adam last week sent me a challenge to play table tennis netball. Which was yeah, that's all what it's called. Yeah, it was a very interesting uh, invention where we play basically kind of table tennis across the living room with a sofa in the middle, and it got highly competitive competitive in my household. (laughs) Given that both of my parents are basically ex-athletes and don't like losing either, let's say we had to move a lot of things out of the living room so things didn't get broken. (laughs) And last Friday. Most of us weren't talking to each other because we got very competitive. I would like to say that I did win, and um, my parents didn't really uh, didn't really quite get the the knack of this game. But it was a fantastic thing. It's something we should. It's a good game, isn't it? Isn't it a good game? Really, really really good. So yeah, really, really enjoyed it. So what I thought is I'd come back with a challenge that also both Adam and Martin, you you can give a go in your time. As in lockdown, we're all trying to do something a little bit different. Now, this is not very physical, actually. It's going to involve eating. Good. It's going to involve... Oh, oh I can do that. However, <laughs> yeah, you've got to make things. So, I've oh, seen quite I a thing... I, I can't do that. <laughs> I've seen quite a lot of things on social media where people are doing, basically, their own come dine with me. So, what I'm saying is we all, in our households, should say, come dine with Alex or come dine with Adam. And your task is to find... Uh, Really, really, it could be basic, could be really, really advanced, but recipe that you want to make, it can be anything. Make that one thing, and then you have to get your household to try it. And then you can go around your household, your parent can have a go, or your parents, you can all go around, and you've got to score it. And then whoever scores the most is your best chef in that household and will always be able to say whether or not whoever's cooked a meal is good quality or not good quality, because I'm fed up of my dad always saying, whenever I cook, it's only all right. Yet he knows (laughs) it's more than all right. So this is the one chance for you to gain some culinary uh, goddess status in our household. Well, let me tell you something, Alex. I really wish I could swear at you. (laughs) 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 I am am absolutely clueless at the minute, but uh, I'll have to get thinking for next week. Cheese on toast. Always have it could be on. anything. It really could be anything. But I just think give it a go and, and see what you think. Especially if we're not used to cooking, let, let's see what we can all come up with. Like it. I'll give it a go. I'll give it a go for you, Alex. Fantastic. Well, this is us done for this week on the A&A Take. The conversation continues on social media. You can find us on both Facebook and Twitter just by searching for the A&A Take. Make sure to tweet us some of your Come Dine With Me moments and you might even get a mention on next week's show. But in the meantime, stay safe, everybody, and hopefully you can join us next week. We will see you then.